Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 10 of the 2022 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft-eligible prospects and get you ready for the draft set to begin April 2022 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'll tell you what, the weekend of October 9th is going to go down as one of the wildest and craziest weekends of the 2021 college football season. And we had all kinds of crazy games to to talk about. Ole Miss up 52-51, no time remaining. Sam Pittman and Arkansas decide to go for two with the win. And they are unable to get it done. Matt Corral, Lane Kiffin, and the Rebels end up squeaking by the Razorbacks, 52-51. Then you have the Red River Showdown. Really a a, a tale of of two halves. This was a, a game where you saw Texas get up 28-7. to Spencer Rattler really struggling there for OU. Suddenly, Lincoln Riley benches Spencer Rattler in favor of Caleb Williams, who brings the Sooners back. Real sense of energy within that program once number 13 took the field. Sooners end up winning 55-48. We're going to be talking a lot about the Sooners here in just a moment. Texas A&M. Takes down Alabama. That's right. Down goes Bama. Unreal game there as well. In Kyle uh, at Kyle Field, College Station, Texas. Texas A&M taking down the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide, 41-38. This was a game where we saw Bama go down, you know, double digits. This rarely happens. You, know, you saw some turnovers. You saw some some mistakes uh, with, with penalties. You saw a defense that looked vulnerable. You know, I thought the linebacker play was was suspect at times. You saw the secondary uh, struggling at times as well. But really, it was that offensive line there for, for Texas A&M. Isaiah Spiller really moving the ball well. And then Zach Calzada, really coming-of-age story with this kid, really uh, elevated his play there for the Aggies. Maybe Jimbo Fisher has got things turned in the corner there. Look, Alabama, you know, 100 games won versus ranked opponents. That streak has been broken. 24-0, and 0, uh, Nick Saban versus his assistance now been broken now that Jimbo Fisher has gotten the win there unbelievable game in uh, in College Station there and then you had Iowa coming back to beat Penn State 23-20 that comeback win Tyler Goodson on the ground with that offense and then that's secondary man you know this is a secondary and really a whole defense 16 interceptions Riley Moss and company really leading the way there and driving things forward and just one or two of those games on a weekend, and you're talking about that being the, the weekend of the year. You have all four of those games, and, and you know big players stepping up in big games. So there's a lot really to talk about. But the first thing that we wanted to really address is Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler started the season as my number one quarterback. I thought this was the guy who was ready to take the next step in his progression. You really saw that after he got benched in the Texas game last year. What does he do? He comes back, leads the team to a victory in quadruple overtime, and then leads the Sooners you know, down. You saw them in the bowl game victory over Florida, and it looked like the momentum was moving forward. Building off of that, that's really what the expectation was. But what we saw so far this season was kind of a lackluster offense. The running game wasn't really going because the, the passing attack just couldn't really fire on any cylinders at all. You know, I, I thought Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, 
uh, Jaden Hazel Hazelwood really didn't elevate their game, didn't take the ne the next step, and, and you wonder what's going on there. Then that offensive line, you saw some struggles there as well. What happened with Spencer Rattler? You know, I think he's kind of lost his way. This is a guy who is at his best on the move, rolling out. But the problem with it is, I think he knows that. So what happens? He rolls out before he even needs to. Stand within the pocket. There's more options for you. You have the entire field. When you roll out, you're shortening your window, shortening your options there, shortening your reads as you move further and further towards the sideline. And what happens with him is he decides in his head, I'm going to go ahead and make a play on the move before he even needs to. And there were also plays in that game where he sat in the pocket and had a receiver that was open, had he fired the football right away, but he holds on to it for a count or two and then decides he's going to try to fit the football, looking off that read, going to, you know, to the opposite side and throwing into coverage. So just the decision-making there, really shaky at best with Spencer Rattler. When you look at that game and you talk about Spencer Rattler's stats, uh, you know, another interception thrown and a fumble lost. You know, he lost a fumble in last year's Texas game, but 8 of 15 for 111 yards, no touchdowns thrown, did have a, uh, you know, a carry for a touchdown and a two-point conversion that he ultimately came into the game there with, with Caleb Williams uh, leading them down and getting a score. But here's the deal. That team seemed to really rally around Caleb Williams. Everyone was excited when Caleb Williams came in and started doing some impressive things. This is a kid, as a freshman, you, know, you could tell, you know, solidly built kid, a guy that was able to make throws on the move, uh, but also hang within the pocket, and then he was also a threat to run. That's one of the things that Spencer Rattler really is not. He's not much of a threat to run the football, and you know, with Caleb Williams in there, suddenly that counterplay with the guard tackle pulling around really worked well for Kennedy Brooks and you really saw him elevate his game uh, and Marvin Mims my goodness some of the catches that he was making that 52 yard touchdown Caleb Williams throws that towards that front pylon an incredible you know leaping catch and then turning they, they showed the pylon cam and you know that shoelace nearly went out of bounds that's how close he was to to going out winds up scoring the touchdown and you know really that that team just rallied around Caleb Williams the problem with Spencer Rattler and what we saw with him was after some of the touchdowns were scored the cameras caught you know glimpses of his face he didn't look all that happy you know I'll be honest it, 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 you know you worry about that with, with Spencer Rattler he did not look very happy that his teammate the success you know there then after the game I think what was really telling Twitter pointed out you know there are a lot of you know videos showing Spencer Rattler leaving the field ahead of everybody else there's a photo where they're doing the horns down they've got the the, the trophy and everything and, and the team is doing a photo it seems like everybody is in that photo there's one glaring omission and that's Spencer Rattler and there are videos that have surfaced of him walking to the locker room by himself this was a huge win, a come-from-behind win. You want to celebrate that game with your boys, with your teammates, the guys that you've played with, that you've practiced with, that you've spent all of that time. Where are you, Spencer Rattler, at the end of that game? You were benched, and guess what? That's going to happen at the next level, too. 
inevitably at some point, you know, there's a there's a good chance that you're going to get benched. What's going to happen then? How are you going to react to that situation? So we've got a quarterback whose play on the field has regressed, and the attitude in that game wasn't all that flattering. You know, if you go to the, the TV show, the QB1, and you watch how he interacted with his backup quarterback, not the most flattering picture of Spencer Rattler. You know, it, it almost feels like there's an, a, a sense of entitlement with him. And I know that his dad's come out and spoken on his behalf and said, look, we'll look at all the options. He could enter the draft, which I think, if I'm Spencer Rattler, I don't want to do. Because my draft stock is taking a huge hit all these holes in my game are are very glaring at this point, and I haven't done anything to elevate my team. So if Spencer Rattler is not named the quarterback, because as of this recording, Lincoln Riley still hasn't named a, a starter, if I'm Spencer Rattler, the rest of the season, I am the best teammate. I am there for the quarterbacks. I'm there for my team. I am rallying around them as much as I can because at some point, inevitably, he may still get his shot. All it is is one play, one injury away from Spencer Rattler being able to step in and take over the the reins again and really show everyone what he can do to close out the season. That's what you would expect from Spencer Rattler. But here's the thing. You know, he could transfer. He can enter the, the transfer portal. You know, and what his dad was saying was, let's wait until after January 10th because there's a good chance that they'd be playing in the national title. And if they are playing in the national title game, then we'll wait until after January 10th to make a final decision. You know, the question, though, remains is, is if Caleb Williams is the quarterback the remainder of the season, at what point does Spencer, Rat- does Spencer Rattler hang-, hang tough? Does he stay there or does he leave? I think that's really going to be you know, a-, a true picture of his his character. What, what does that tell you? Is this a guy that you know, is all about him or is he about the team? Really going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out. And I know as of right now, Lincoln Riley has not named the starter. And uh, you know, if Spencer Rattler steps in, look, he's already been benched before in the Texas game and he rallied and played well after he was benched does he deserve another shot you know I I felt like Spencer Rattler deserved another shot let him go out there against TCU this weekend and see what he can do can we see him elevate his game can he elevate those around him if you want to be taken in the first round of the draft that's what team that's what guys are looking for when you look at Trevor Lawrence, what did he do with that offense? He elevated that offense. You know, offensive line, you look at right now, that offensive line is, is struggling. He never played behind the, the best offensive line, but man, I'll tell you what, they block like hell for him. Those receivers elevating their game. You know, they, they don't look the same this year. Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, when you watch him uh, from Dax Milne to, to Gunnar Romney, you know, Tyler Algier, you know, elevated the game and you saw what BYU was able to do. They have that momentum coming into this year and Kalani Sataki really fed off of those things, but Zach Wilson elevated the play of that offense. So there's another guy, Justin Fields. You know, we do see CJ Stroud really starting to hit his stride with, with that, uh, that team, but Man, Justin Fields, 
when you talk about him and you watch how what he did, you know, he elevated the play not only of the offense, but that defense really rallied behind their quarterback. So when you look at these guys and you're talking about elevating their play, you know, and you want to take a guy in in the in the first round, that's what you're looking for. You look at Mac Jones. The quiet confidence with this kid, just oozing that confidence. Even though he wasn't athletic like some of the other guys, the preparation, what he was able to do, he was making his receivers look good. And, and really, he had some talented receivers. And, and you know, Jalen Waddle and, and Devontae Smith and company. You know, you look at John Mechie this year. John Mechie last year, everyone was talking about him as a top 10 receiver. This year, I think he's taking a step back. You know, he's got a, a freshman quarterback with him. And you know, Bryce Young, I, I think, is the future there for Alabama. I think he does a lot of things right. But it's one of those things to where he's got to really grow into that role a little bit. Um, you know, and I think he's doing a great job so far. But it's one of those things, elevating, you know, that's what you're, he's not ready for that next level. Spencer Rattler, not ready for the next level. So if he decides after this year, if he's not named the, the quarterback, and he decides that he wants to transfer. I know that his parents live in Arizona, so either U of A or ASU, those could be either of the programs that he decides to to transfer to. I think transferring would probably be the best best case scenario. Don't go to the league, though. You know, any team that's looking for a quarterback, there are other guys. We're going to be talking about him here. There are other guys who have elevated their play. So it's going to be interesting, the the whole Spencer Rattler saga, what's going to happen with that. You know, I, I honestly, I, I have no idea. You know, if Jaden Daniels there at ASU decides to enter the draft, I think Spencer Rattler becomes a Sun Devil. You know, will he decide to go to Tucson and play for Jed Jed Fish, who, who's trying to rebuild the Wildcats? That could be your your story there. If you're Spencer Rattler, go to U of A. If you can take U of A from the cellar in the Pac-12 to a Pac-12 championship. You know, then that really speaks volumes to the type of type of player elevating that offense, elevating that team with a new head coach who's trying to change the culture there in Tucson. Be interesting to see how all of that plays out. But look, Spencer Rattler is not the only quarterback who has struggled this year uh, among the quarterbacks that we thought were going to be the top prospects. Sam Howell's another one. I'm not the only one who had Sam Howell as the as one of the top two quarterbacks. He and Spencer Rattler. Everybody did. And you look at Sam Howell, you know, he's struggling this year, only completing 60% of his passes. You know, last year it was 68.1. He doesn't have the running backs that he had, uh, you know, a, a season ago. And he also lost Deami Brown, lost Daz Newsom. So he's really trying to connect with, with receivers not named Josh Downs. Um, 16 touchdowns so far on the year through six games, but already has five interceptions. He's only thrown seven interceptions in each of his first two years there for the Tar Heels. So, you know, the, the decision-making, forcing things a little bit too much. And he's another guy who's held on to the ball way too long. You know, instead of just seeing it and firing it and, and, and trying to make a play, he's looking for the big play. And, and yes, he throws a pretty deep ball. And that's one of the things that you want to see at the next level. You also want to see a guy make quick decisions and get the ball out and make plays and you can't hold on to the football because you're waiting for a bigger play to happen. Sometimes you have to take what the defense gives you. Sam Howell, you know, you look at, at North Carolina and they are struggling this year. 
know, that's a team that you know we were expecting to really challenge Clemson for the, the, the top spot there, if you will. And we just haven't seen that in, in the ACC. Obviously, we know Clemson is well struggling um, themselves. But when you look at the Tar Heels and you look at, at, at their season, it's really been been somewhat shaky. Um, you know, they lost to Florida State, you know, 35-25, and now they're three and three on the year. You know, that's something that's absolutely scary. If if I'm a Tar Heel fan, you know, what is going on with our with, with our team? And when you look at it, you know, Sam Howell in that game, 17 to 32, 203 yards. So that's 53.1 percent completion percentage, two touchdowns, threw a pick. And when you look at his yards per attempt, to 6.3, um, you know, which is is nowhere near what uh, Sam Howell was was producing last year. You're looking at a yards per attempt at, at 10.3. So a lot of things to really shore up there at UNC. You know, Sam Howell kind of needs to have some big games because with that draft stock lowering, just based on based on his play, there are some other guys that are really pushing. The, the envelope and guys that I think are, are passing him in terms of their draft stock. So, you know, the question remains with Sam Howell is, is what does he do at the end of the season? Does he enter the draft and hope that people remember what he did his first two years and kind of, hey, let's let's put the you know year three behind us or, you know, or, or not. That's really going to be a huge question mark. It'll be interesting to see exactly how that plays out. But then the other quarterback that I mentioned is Keaton Slovis. And when you look at Keaton Slovis, this is a guy who just hasn't been the same since that that freshman season where he stepped in for JT Daniels. Um, you know, injuries. You know, the arm strength just doesn't look to be there. This is a guy who holds on to the ball way too long, and, and some of it I think is a product of that offense, that that air raid offense that Graham Harrell runs. A lot of times they aren't really attacking the middle of the field all the time. You know, they want to attack the perimeter. Um, you know, and they, he's staring down uh, Drake London, you know, and not really going to other receivers as well. So it, it's something, something's there, something's not right, something's out of whack with, with Keaton Slovis. Um, you know, but the decision making, the, the arm strength just isn't there. He's not able to push the ball down the field, balls hang up. Um, and really, if he's not, you know, he's not finding windows, not really throwing the ball with velocity over the middle of the field, uh, you know, trying to. Um, lead the receiver. A lot of times he's putting the ball on the back shoulder on slants. You know, we've actually seen a, a pick six from Keaton Slovis on that. Went through Drake London's hands. Picked off by Caillou Blue Kelly of Stanford. And almost happened again, I think, a week or two later. You know, Keaton Slovis also has the injury concerns as well, you know, especially with concussions. You know, two, two seasons in a row where we've seen that play out. Uh, so, you know, I... Keaton Slovis, you know, not the most mobile guy either. So, you know, I, he's a guy that I think has just regressed there during his time uh, with the Trojans. And so there's a, a huge concern, huge question mark there with, with Keaton Slovis at USC. But that opens the door for three guys who I think have elevated their play and elevated the guys around them. Matt Corral of, of Ole Miss. This dude, holy cow. Yeah, they, they lost to Alabama, but a lot of that was that defense just struggled to uh, to stop the Crimson Tide, and you know that was a defense they they weren't ready for the physicality of that running game. Uh, you know Brian Robinson has really shown that he can be that power running back between the tackles, uh, but still very uh, efficient 
against Bama, and then you saw him against Arkansas again. What I loved was 14 to 21, 287 yards and two touchdowns, no picks. So again, another efficient outing there. Uh, you know, completed 66% of his passes, and then 15 carries, 94 yards and two touchdowns. His eight touchdowns, I think, lead the SEC. I mean, what are you kidding me? You know, the thing with it is, is he has the arm strength. He's able to fit the ball into tight windows. He's able to push the ball down the field, uh, put it on his receivers, has that touch when, when it's needed, especially to drop the ball you know, over the corner and in front of the safety. This is a guy to me who is my number one quarterback, and there's obviously for good reason. Um, you know, a guy that just continues to make plays. And look, he led his team to a victory over Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I think really, you know, Sam Pittman thought that he had uh, the Rebels on the ropes, and really, I thought so as well. Uh, but they were able to get that stop. Um, you know, ultimately, Lane Kiffin is going to have to get that defense shored up because. You know, Jeff Levy and Matt Corral aren't going to be able to outscore every team there in the SEC. At some point, they're going to hit that roadblock and you're going to run into some issues. But, you know, again, you know, what he's doing, what Matt Corral is doing just points more and more towards this guy really being uh, the number one quarterback in this year's draft. And look, Malik Willis, you know, he's he's number two for me. You know, six foot, 225 pounds. You watch him carry the football and he run. He reminds you of Michael Vick, honestly, with the way that he runs. You know, he's so fast, uh, but he runs with power as well. And then you watch him throw the football, you know, the anticipation uh, with which he throws, you know, and then the way that the ball jumps out of his hand, you know, he's anticipating it you know, before the receivers are out of their break. And then with that velocity, Receiver, the ball's right on him. They're able to make that catch and make a play after uh, after making that reception. And you know the thing is, is Malik Willis playing for Liberty. A lot of people aren't able to see uh, what he's able to do. But when you talk about Group of Five quarterbacks, you know we've had some really good success with some Group of Five guys. And uh, you know, Malik Willis is going to be the next. You know, and when you look at his stats so far this year through six games, uh, you know he's completing nearly 68% of his passes. You know, over 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, just three interceptions. You know, a guy who's just been very polished. And you're going to make the argument, like a lot of people did with Josh Allen, that he hasn't played anyone. You know, really, what's going on with, um, you know, with him? Uh, you know, with with Malik Willis. You know, come on. You know, he he hasn't played anybody. Who does Liberty play? Um, you know, and and you, you look at Syracuse, that game against uh, against the Orange, a game that they lost. He still went 14 to 19, which is nearly 74% of his passes completed, 205 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, and then also rushed for for another 49 yards as well. That was a game that really was his lowest output running the football. Um, you know, it's one of those things to where you know he's at his best really when he's able to play outside the confines of an offense and make plays on the run and on the move. I want to see what he can do more inside the pocket. And that's one of the things that we just haven't seen a lot of with, with Malik Willis. Um, you know, this year is just hanging in the pocket. Uh, when he does, again, that anticipation and, and that arm strength just really comes out, uh, leading his receivers away from the defense, throwing them open. Um, you know, he, he's really a special talent. And look, he's, he's basically, you almost have 1A, 1B uh, at the top of this draft between uh, Matt Corral and Malik Willis. And then the third quarterback is Desmond Ritter. You know, Desmond Ritter, you look at what Cincinnati is doing. Cincinnati's in the top four. You know, if we had the playoff today, Cincinnati would likely be in the playoff. You know, they beat Notre Dame. 
and you know they're they're right now you look at their schedule they're going to be favored to win every contest from here on out and what i love about desmond ritter is he's just continuing to develop and continuing to get better and i think this was a guy who really struggled with the deep ball uh, and just some of his accuracy and it's still something that at the beginning of the game he's so juiced up so amped up that he does struggle with accuracy at times but then when he settles in this is a guy who just he picks defenses apart and you watch him it's not just to uh, Alec Pierce you know he's throwing to Michael Young he's throwing to Trey Tucker he's throwing to his tight end Josh Wiley you know, Jerome Ford out of the backfield um, you know he's got you know and, and Leonard Taylor the other tight end you, he's got two NFL tight ends playing there um, for, for Cincinnati uh, Jordan Jones uh, you know he's got a lot of weapons and he spreads the football around you know, this is a guy who, you know, 61.6 career completion percentage. And most of that was, you know, really the first two years struggling. This is his second year, over 65% completion percentage so, so far, over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions on the year. And when you watch him, he's a, he's a, a tall guy, so long strides. You don't really expect him to be as fast as he is. This is a guy who has nearly 2,000 yards rushing in his career, 25 touchdowns. You know, albeit when you look at, at his stats through five games, only 104 yards on the ground. And uh, you know, his 3.2 yards per carry average is his lowest. But he's doing a lot more from the pocket. He's doing a lot more uh, with his arm and doesn't have to necessarily pull the football and, and take off. You know, I, I think that offensive line is really gelling as well. You look at Jerome Ford being able to carry the football, so he isn't asked to do a whole lot uh, with his legs this year. But you know, he is definitely capable of doing that. 6'4", 215 pounds. You, know, you look at these guys, all three of them, they're very athletic. When you look at Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray right now is the favorite to be the MVP. What is he doing? This is a, a tremendous athlete, a guy who is able to make plays outside the pocket, on the move. He's, he has the speed to be able to beat you down the field uh, with his athleticism. And, you know, he's just a nightmare to try to, to game plan against because he has the touch, he has the arm strength, he can play in the pocket, he can play on the run, and then when he decides to take off, he can run by you. And so I think all three of these guys have similar traits, and that's really what teams are looking for. You know, they're looking for guys that are able to do that. And when you look at a guy like Spencer Rattler, who holds on to the ball too long and isn't the most athletic guy, you look at Sam Howell, who's holding on to the ball too long because he's looking for that bigger play. You look at Keaton Slovis, who's holding on to the ball too long, trying to be patient, waiting for a receiver to get open because the defense is only rushing three and dropping eight. You know, none of those guys are that mobile. You know, I think Sam Howell of the three is probably the most mobile of the quarterbacks, but you know, they need to really show what they can do from a, uh, the mental standpoint because Mac Jones is not the most athletic quarterback by any means. But the preparation, the, the mental makeup you know, that, that he brings to the table, that's really what his his strength is more than anything else, and that's ultimately what's allowed him to excel and why he's starting for uh, the New England Patriots. And so, you know, really, that's what you want to see from these three guys. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that from any of them. You know, if there's any guy that I could point to and say that might be the guy is, is Carson Strong out of Nevada. You know, this is a guy who's throwing with with accuracy, can push the ball down the field, knows where to go with his receivers. Uh, you know, Romeo Dubs and uh, and Cole Turner and then Toa Tawa out of the backfield. He knows where to go with the football. Knows 
where to place the football and allow these guys to make plays. Um, so to me, I look at Carson Strong. He feels like the, the closest thing to Mac Jones, more of a pocket passer, you know, limited athletically, but definitely a guy who brings a more cerebral approach to the to the position. So I mentioned that Cincinnati, uh, you know, with, with Desmond Ritter, they took care of business against Temple, 52 to three. Um, and one of the things that that you know, you're watching that game, and there are a lot of guys who can make plays at the next level. Alec Pierce, the receiver, uh, you know, a guy who was just known as a vertical threat for a while there uh, for the Bearcats, and you know, battled an injury a season ago, so we didn't get to see him um, really take off. But I'll tell you what, Alec Pierce is a guy who's doing a little bit of everything. This is a guy, again, getting vertical, beating guys off the line. That's one of the things that I thought, you know, is so remarkable. I'm curious to see what his 40 time is going to be because he's running, just running by guys, getting vertical. But then when he gets down the field, his ability to adjust to the football in the air, that body control, high-pointing footballs over DBs, it's really impressive. Uh, you know, you, you see him taking advantage of, of soft coverage on the zone, the ball thrown to the outside, uh, you know, and settles down inside you know within that zone in that void so you can tell that he, there, he brings some intelligence to the position as well i love how he just attacks the football wherever wherever it is but then he also has you know really good blocks you know that temple game had a nice block on, on the perimeter on a pop pass to trey tucker allowed tucker to get to the edge you know, this is a guy, you know, you can play him, you know, he can be your deep threat, he can be a, a weapon in the red zone. You know, Desmond Ritter is really having fun uh, having Alec Pierce back, 6'3", 208. He's a guy, to me, I feel can be, you know, probably a, a third-round pick and, and really uh, make an impact for a team at the next level. You know, Josh Wiley, the tight end, 6'6", 245. You know, I know he wants to be more of a factor in the offense. He was the leading receiver last year. Again, Alec Pierce was out. But you watch Josh Wiley. You know, he's a better blocker than I think people give him credit for. You watch him, though, be able to, to track the ball over his shoulder, adjust to the football while in the air, high-pointing the ball. Uh, you know, a guy who is uh, athletic, can move really well. He's one of those. He's another Cincinnati tight end. You know, I mean, you know, so they're Cincinnati tight ends. You know, that, that's really, they, they seem to, to grow them on, on trees there in, in Cincinnati. Uh, a lot of really solid players. Defensively, too, though, uh, you know, Majai uh, Sanders, uh, you know, plays with, you know, with length. You know, a, a guy who, he's another one who doesn't have the sacks, you know, and, and so that's obviously something that, that he's disappointed in. But when you watch him play, the athleticism, you know, the way that he uses that, that length. And what I love too is uh, he has a slap and rip, but he, he kind of varies, you know, when he uses that, that rip. So you'll see the slap right away, and he may take another step before that rip comes through. A lot of guys will show the slap and rip right away, but I think you know he's really working on that timing there with, with the tackle. The tackle's expecting that rip to come through, and then it's a count later, and then he's able to rip through there and, and get to that edge and turn the corner in a hurry. Very athletic. You know, a guy who uses his hands well to disengage, bends well coming off the edge. Um, you know, he comes downhill against the run, and, and then obviously... Uh, you know, a guy that is, you try to throw over him and he's got such length. Uh, he does a good job getting his hands up into the passing lane. Uh, Ahmad Gardner and, and Kobe Bryant, you know, two guys, you know, they're over six feet tall on the you know, on the edge. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was impressive with, with Gardner is 
he always seems to be putting himself in position uh, to make a play. And, and you watch him in bail technique. Those eyes go into the backfield, still staying with his receiver, keeps a hand on there. And we talked about it in the last podcast. Just you know it, the intelligence and the veteran moves that you see with him. But Kobe Bryant, you know what I love about him is you know the physicality that he brings to the position comes down isn't afraid to, to mix it up and against temple um you know uh, mathis the quarterback there at, at temple uh, put a throw up just kind of threw the ball in the air and you watch kobe bryant didn't give up on the play actually tracked the ball down looked like an outfielder kind of making an over-the-shoulder catch and uh, then took off down the field um you know, Kobe Bryant, uh, uh, like I said, these are two guys that I think should be hearing their names called in the first two rounds of the draft. And then Darian Beavers. If you've listened to my podcast last year, you know that my favorite player in the draft was David Collins. You know, I, I loved watching David Collins play. I was talking about David Collins before really anybody else in the draft circles were, were talking about him. Yeah, and what he did at Tulsa did a little bit of everything. You know, right? He was a guy that was able to rush the quarterback. He was able to drop into coverage and, and, and intercept passes. He was playing the run, sideline to sideline speed. Darian Beavers does a lot of the same things. You know, this is a guy who was a safety, moved to linebacker, went to defensive end, back to linebacker. Uh, they showed on the broadcast there against Temple. This dude you know, at, at 6'4 and 265 pounds is doing windmill dunks, um, had a you know, lobbed, lobbed it up and wound up doing a, a 360. Uh, just tremendous athleticism there with, with this guy. You know, high flyer as a basketball player. Uh, but you watched him, uh, the sideline to sideline ability, uh, getting inside out, dropping running backs. Um, you know, and you, you, there was uh, Edward Sadie on, on a crossing route, came downhill, delivered a huge hit to force an incompletion there. Uh, you saw the pass rush as well. Um, you know, he kind of looped to the outside to start on, on this outside rush. Then he uses his hands, gets him into the right tackle, showed a really nice push-pull after that because he got into the body and really just pulled on that jersey, got the off, the offensive tackle off balance, threw him aside, able to get to the quarterback. And not only did he get a sack, but he actually got a strip sack, knocked the ball free, nearly jumped on the ball himself, but Temple wound up getting on the ball anyway. Um, he's a guy that can hold the edge against the run. That's one of the things that you saw. He engaged that, that that right tackle, able to hold that edge, didn't let the running back bounce it outside, held his ground, and the defensive end was able to get in on the tackle with him. Uh, you know, To me, Darian Beavers is a guy that we need to be talking more about. And I think as the season continues to, to progress, we watch Cincinnati in some of these big games, you know, especially if they can get into the playoff, Darian Beavers is going to play a huge part in Cincinnati's success uh, if they get into that playoff. Uh, you know, that Texas OU game, he's only a sophomore, so he, he won't be eligible for the draft. But Bijan Robinson, my goodness, this kid is, he's the most spectacular running back I've seen since since Reggie Bush. You know, he had this cutback against OU that was reminiscent of Reggie Bush's run against Fresno State. And the, the cutback ability, his his ability to just make guys miss. You know, he gets you know gets skinny, slips tackles. He's just so so slippery, uh, and it, it's it's amazing to watch. I think he must have, have had you know double digit missed tackles there against OU, um, and they kind of went away from running the ball. 
you know, with Star- Sarkeesian. Really, all they had to do was give the ball to Bijan Robinson over and over, and uh, they could have run OU's defense out of the building. Um, you know, once OU got the momentum there with Caleb Williams, and uh, they started um, really putting things on uh, on Texas when they made their run. Um, you know, I wanted to see them really put more of an emphasis on Bijan. Uh, but I'm telling you, you know, this guy is a special running back. Uh, definitely, you know, would be my my thought for the, the Doak Walker Award this year, and uh, a guy who, you know, before long, we'll be talking about him, you know, as a as a Heisman candidate there for sure. Uh, Kennedy Brooks. You know, this was a guy. Uh, again, I talked about that the guard tackle pull, and uh, you know that, that counter play. It just it really started working. They started. You know, Texas, you know, they, they not the best tackling team by any means, and I think that's really what they started to take advantage of. You know, 25 carries, 217 yards, two touchdowns, had that 33-yard that touchdown to end the game, uh, essentially with just a few seconds left in, in, in the contest. Uh, but Brooks, you know, he's so patient. He, he waits for that, uh, the offensive lineman to really set up. And uh, then once he does that, he, he puts his foot in the ground and gets downhill in a hurry. You, know, you watch him drop his pad level, the forward lean, running through tackles. You know, so he finishes really well. Um, but when you watch him, you know he's patient. And then, boom, he's right through the hole. So he's not, not the fastest guy. The top end speed just isn't there. Had a 65-yard run. Uh, was caught from behind. It looked like maybe he was stripped before he went down. But his knee was down. So the OU got the ball back. Um, but you know, definitely a guy that um, is—that's you know, the type of play that you want to see, obviously, um, it, from a running back. And it's—you know—it's something that when you talk about the legacy of running backs there at OU, uh, the latest obviously being you know Joe Mixon. Uh, you know, you look at Kennedy Brooks. What can he bring to the table? Um, you know, a guy who's 5'11", 215. You know, he sat out last season. I think he's really starting to hit his stride. Keep an eye out for Kennedy Brooks for sure. Defensively for OU, you know, the, the, the guys that were really stirring the drink there were Nick Benito and Perrion Winfrey. What I love about Perrion Winfrey is the burst off the football. You know, he's able to split the, the, the double teams. He's able to, to shoot the A-gap, get into the backfield, and disrupt plays. You know, he, he can get after the quarterback. But what I really love is you know, he also gets in there and blows up some run plays. Really, the run play is going going his direction, and he's able to ultimately get the, the running back to reverse uh, reverse his course. Uh, you know, I thought you know, quick penetration in the backfield loves his arm over and getting into the backfield. And uh, you know, there was a play where he wrapped up Bijan Robinson before he could get going for a two-yard loss. If you can really get to Bijan in the backfield, that's really what you're looking for. Perry on Winfrey also has another you know another guy with a really nice push pull gets the the center um, and the guards off balance shooting inside and, and making the play. He is one who has to wor- worry about uh, you know, the snap count at some times because he's trying to time it and he is susceptible to being called off sides. But you know, it was one of those things to where it wasn't until after uh, Caleb Williams really started uh, invigorating some life that you really saw uh, the defense uh, really start getting ignited. But number eight was the guy who was showing effort the entire game. Um, you know, and, and really, you know, it was a guy that could impact things on the interior of a defense. But Nick Benito is the guy to me that was the was the all star 
uh, you know, for, for that defense. You know, Isaiah Thomas is another guy that we can't discredit. You know, he's a he's a defensive end there, 6'5", 265 pounds, number 95. You know, had some big plays. Um, but Nick Benito, you watch him, and uh, man, he, he'd show a jab to the outside, quick move back to the inside, and rips to get into the backfield and flush the quarterback from the pocket. Actually did that and flushed him right into Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he comes off the edge with you know really low, and, and that's one of the things that's you know is impressive about him is the flexibility, his ability to dip and get underneath the tackle, and then the hips to come around. And, and he's so quick coming around the edge and then flattening out and getting getting to the quarterback. Um, that's one of the things that I think is is so impressive. Um, but the the motor just never stops running either. You know, after he bend, you know bends around the left tackle, gets into the backfield in a hurry and chases. Uh, Casey Thompson all the way to the perimeter. So you have relentless attitude and uh, you know, 6'3", 240 pounds. The junior, to me, is one of the better pass rushers in this year's draft class. Uh, a guy who also showed that he can drop back into, into coverage as well. Uh, but man, when you're talking about pass rushers, you know, there are a few guys that are better than Nick Benito right now. But defensively for, for Texas, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention DeMarvion Overshone. And what you have with Overshone, he's 6'2", 215 pounds, reminds you a lot of, of Jeremiah Wusu koromoa uh, you know, Number zero, a little bit, little bit taller, a little bit bigger than, than Wusu koromoa um, You know, probably going to end up being a you know an early day two pick, but a guy that flies around and does a little bit of everything. You know, he was blitzing, getting to to Spencer Rattler, um, you know, on, on one play and then the next. You know, coming up the middle, took on the up man, Braden, Braden Willis, gets his hand up to block the punt. Um, you know, you saw you know Spencer Rattler late with the football on a screen, came downhill, big hit on the receiver. Um, you know, running back on another play, you, you had that that guard tackle pull on a counter. He cuts up the field, fills the hole, drills a running back for just a one yard gain. Um, just seemed to be all over the football field. You know, flew around, just very instinctive, very athletic. The biggest thing for him, though, is he misses some tackles. You know, he needs to be more under control, and you'll see him just fly around, just kind of with that reckless abandon. And if he can harness that and really just play under more control and line guys up and be a little bit more square, I think he's going to be in better shape there. You know, with with JOK last year there for Notre Dame, that was what he did so well. Was he was able to line guys up and square him up and be able to make tackles. And if he's coming downhill, he's coming down under control and he's gonna make sure that he makes the tackle. Overshone, you know, looking to make some of the flashy plays, he'll come in out of control and uh, you know, guys are able to escape that. That's something I think for uh, Overshone, um, he's really gonna have to work on and, and keep a, keep an eye out there, but definitely a talent, a guy that I think is gonna end up being uh, an early day two pick. Um, you know, and with that, that Ole Miss Arkansas game, I watched Nick Broker take on on Trey Williams, and um, you know Trey Williams really didn't have the game I was expecting him to. I, I thought he was going to be wreaking havoc left and right, and uh, you know I, I thought you know Broker there at, at left, um, you know, at, at left tackle, you watched him some deep kick slides, able to easily beat Williams to the edge, and he blocked down, um, you know, and kind of clear him out. Uh, one of the things that I thought was impressive too, you know, with Williams, he beat him with speed off the ball. Broker didn't panic, rode him all the way up the field, then drove him to the ground, really just got nasty with him. Then there's the 34-yard touchdown run by Snoop Connor. Uh, Connor gets a, a lead block going through the hole, but it was Broker who took 
Trey Williams trying to get up the field, kicked him out, opened a huge hole. Uh, it allowed Snoop Connor to, to take off and score. And that's one of the things, look, you know, Broker, he's 6'4", 6'5", 305. A lot of people think he's going to be playing guard at the next level, but I think he's showing that he can play tackle, that, you know, there is some of that speed, that he is able to, to handle that a little bit. And, you know, that versatility, you know, a, a guy who can play inside or out, you know, that, that really just helps with your draft stock. And, uh, you know, with Trey Williams, you know, that's one of the things for me that, that I worry about. He can bend, but, you know, can he... Uh, you know, be consistent you know, with, with all facets of the game. Is he going to be more of just a situational pass rusher? If that's the case, if he's a one-trick pony, then uh, you know, there, there's room in, in, at the, uh, you know, in the National Football League for those guys, but he's not going to be a, a, a day-two pick. He's going to probably fall somewhere in that, that fifth-round range when it's all said and done. Um, you know, I, I thought Jalen Catalan you know, had another nice game there for Arkansas in a losing effort, 5'10", 210, the redshirt sophomore. Very physical but man, he misses a lot of tackles too. He's going to throw his shoulder in, and um, you know he, he needs to watch that. He needs to make sure that you know he doesn't play you know too recklessly. Um, but man, he, he safety over the top uh, on one play, and then he'll move inside the box and uh, be physical against a run on another. He's really a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, there's a chance that we could see uh, Catalan enter the draft. The um, Traylon Burks. Huge receiver there for, for Arkansas. This guy just continues to have big game after big game. Um, you know, he's just he's a he's a big kid. I mean, he's 6'3", 225 pounds. Excellent body control. Um, that I think that's one of the biggest things. You watch him too. His ability to high point the football. You saw that on display yet again. Um, you know, a guy that's just going to box out DBs and, and go up and elevate and make plays. Um, you know, in fact, he had a 37-yarder where he boxed out the defensive back, and then the next play down the sideline again on a corner. Um, you know, inside leverage, able to go up and haul him with two hands. Kind of had a subtle push up the field before he goes up at high points to get separation. Kind of a veteran move there as the receiver. So another guy to, to be on the lookout for. Uh, you know, probably an early day two guy. Probably an early, you know early to mid-second round. And then Chance Campbell, nine tackles and a sack. He's one of those inside linebackers. You know, the more that the season goes on, he's one of those guys that people are going to continue to and continue to talk about. Um, two other pass rushers that we've got to mention, uh, J.J. Enigbare, uh, there for South, Car- South Carolina. He, he's one of those guys who just shows that athleticism and that all-out relentlessness getting to the football. Uh, and then Arnold Ebiketti, um, Man, I'll tell you what, you know, he's he's a lot of fun there uh, to watch at, at Penn State. A guy who fires so well off the football. Look, he's only 6'2", um, but I, I think he can play and at the next level. Um, you know, that get-off is one of those things that, that really just is always seems to be on display. And uh, he likes to use that inside rush and, and get to the quarterback. Um, you'll see him coming off the, off the edge. Uh, you know, there was a play there against Iowa, third and goal, um, worked versus the left tackle, got into the chest of him, then used his hands to, you know, he had leverage, kind of pushes that elbow up, which allowed him to turn the corner. So, uh, you know, really a nice array of, of pass rush moves, getting to the quarterback, and then the effort. He actually ran down Tyler Goodson 20 yards down the field uh, to ultimately bring him down. You know, and Tyler, look, you know, Tyler Goodson, 
Uh, you know, another guy that we can talk about there in that game, you know, a running back who is just continuing to get better and better. He's a big reason why Iowa is in the position that they're at right now. Um, you know, you watch the vision, you watch the the, the, the lateral agility, you watch his, his ability to run through tackles, ran through a Joey Porter tackle, very physical to finish his runs, excellent hands in the passing game as well. Uh, you know, I think people don't really talk about that too much. Um, also, had a, on a stretch play, had a stiff arm at 10 yards, Joey Porter, to get that, get the edge. Wound up picking up a total of 15 yards on that play as well. And look, you know, when he's running behind that offensive line, it's anchored by Tyler Linderbaum, uh, who's 6'3", 290 pounds. The junior, you know, I'll, I'll go on record right now saying I think he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, you know, he's agile. You see tremendous footwork. You know, the, the reach blocks. He's able to, to get there, you know, no problem. Uh, you watch him with, with some of these pancakes as well, uh, getting very physical, getting nasty when he needs to in pass protection. Gets under, uh, you know, there was a, a linebacker that he got under his pad level, drove him away from the pocket, and then planted him into the ground. And then there, what I really thought was telling was third and two. It was a quarterback sneak by Spencer Petrus. And you watched his, you know, after he snaps the ball, fires off off the ball, uh, blocks Derek Tangelo, and you saw just the push that he was able to get. Petrus wound up running behind that block and ended up getting, I think, four yards on the play. Just blew that defensive tackle off the line. To me, Tyler Linderbaum, you know, he's got the finesse, he's got the footwork, he's got the nastiness to him. You know, he's physical, holds the point very well, very intelligent. Remington Award winner and a first-round pick. I think it has to happen there. One other guy to mention from that game is going to be uh, Ellis Brooks. And uh, I think Penn State has a lot of really good linebackers. You know, you watched um, Brandon Smith covering Sam Laporta in that game, but Ellis Brooks really was throwing his weight around. Um, you know, there was a throw to, to Luke Lachey, the tight end over the middle, had a chance to wrap him up, uh, led with the shoulder, and uh, ultimately got a first down. So I think he learned from that because then you're watching him take on Spencer Petrus, who rolled out to the left um, and ultimately takes him, you know, takes his legs out on the perimeter and uh, made sure to take him down. Uh, reads the run plays, fills holes, and you just saw him coming downhill, uh, stood up Ivory Kelly Martin in the hole for no gain, uh, you know, driving running backs between the tackles, just driving them back. Very sure tackler in the hole um, you know, when he does come and wrap up. Uh, a huge hitter, really a ferocious guy, 6'1", 240 pounds, number 13 for Penn State. Keep an eye on him. He's one of those guys on the in, uh, on the inside. Brandon Smith on the outside, number 12, 6'3", 241. Those guys will be playing at the next level. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. Uh, staying with that game, Rasheed Walker. He's an offensive tackle that people don't really have even in their top 10. And I'm really surprised by that because this is a guy who I thought, you know, going up against Zach Van Valkenburg, not the most explosive guy at the defensive end position, but a, a guy who is physical, uh, reminds me a little bit of, of A.J. Epinesa uh, because he's not the, not the fastest guy by any means, but a guy that just continues to work to the quarterback, uses his hands very well. Um, but what you watch with, with Rasheed Walker, was his ability to, uh, you know, he reset his feet and anchor whenever Val the Valkenberg tried to get physical with him. You watch him slide uh, on that kick slide, extends those arms, keeps him at a distance as he moves him away from the pocket. Uh, the handwork, you watch him strike, keep those feet and hands working in unison, uh, fires out of a stance quickly, sits down, then hands go under that pad level, 
wins not only the hand fighting, you know, he's got one hand um, with the hand fighting, and then that right hand ends up into the armpit of the defensive end and is able to control him there at the point of attack. You know, took his left arm, you know, left hand, and threw Van Valkenburg up the field on a quarterback run up the middle. So you see the physicality, some of the nastiness is coming out of him as well. Uh, I think Rasheed Walker definitely helped him, uh, helped himself in that game. And then Jaquan Brisker, you know, 6'1", We can talk about all the superlatives and all the big plays that he's making. You know, the transfer from uh, Lackawanna College three years ago, the first team JUCO All-American, uh, was the number one JUCO prospect. And he lined up in the slot over uh, Nico Rick. Ganey, uh, who ran a shallow cross. You watch him immediately drive on the football, wraps him up for no yak, only a four-yard gain. Uh, you know, Tyrone Tracy later on runs a corner route. He reads the play, moves to his right, then drove over the top to make a play on the ball, uh, over the top, knocked the ball away, forced you know a, a fourth down. This is a guy, he battled through some shoulder problems earlier in the year, played through the pain, so he's very tough and he just he reads everything so well. He can play you know in the box, physical against the run. Uh, There's a, a screenplay to uh, to Arlen Bruce, ran by two blockers, showed tremendous speed to drop uh, you know the, the, the running back. I'm sorry, the, the receiver in the backfield for for no gain. Uh, just a guy who's just so athletic, and you just love watching him play. And uh, you know, had an interception in that game, was just really right in the right position. Ball went off of uh, Nico Regani's hand and uh, went into the air, and, and Brisker wound up picking the ball off. But he's right around, always around where that football is going to be because he's intelligent, he's quick, he's fast, he processes things quickly. And uh, I think Brisker has a chance to be a first-round pick. I really do. We know that Kyle Hamilton is the number one safety, but I got Brisker number two on my list. And one other corner to mention, Matt Hankins. Pro Football Focus says he only has 44 receiving yards given up the entire season. And yes, Riley Moss, the guy that's playing opposite him, uh, has four interceptions to lead the team. Matt Hankins has has two, but uh, he's not seeing the ball thrown his way nearly as much as, as Riley Moss. They're testing uh, you know, Riley more often than Matt Hankins. And you know it's because Matt Hankins is shutting guys down. And what they noted, you know, as well was, um, you know, pro football focus, 0.19 yards per coverage snap. So that's first among uh, FBS players, according to pro football focus. Um, you know, a, a guy who just continues to play well. Um, you know, I, I think he's up to you know, over 30 starts there for Iowa. Um, you know, he, he, you watch it, even when he's not in phase, he has that ability to recover and then, you um, does a really good job, excellent ball skills. You know, guy that's always going to be looking to make a play on the football. Um, can be physical against the run when you need him to be as well. Um, I, I just think Matt Hankins is the guy that's going to continue to move up draft boards. He's moving up mine for sure. Six foot, 185 pounds. Uh, already with three interceptions this year. Uh, only one pass breakup so far, but he has 17 in his career. Keep an eye out for him and, and Riley Moss for that matter. And really, you know. When you're talking about a team that has 16 interceptions, all the turnovers there, that's really what drives Iowa and why Iowa is sitting where they're at is that defense. Um, So it's going to be fun to watch there. Can we talk about Drake London for a second? You know, and I know that we're starting to run out of time, but you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the the Trojan receiver. I know USC really struggling uh, this year. 
interim head coach Dante Williams really just in a in a no-win situation taking over for the, the fire Clay Helton. But, but Drake London is a guy who just continues to come out and put on an insane performance. Yet again against Utah, here's, here's Drake London um, just absolutely looking like a beast. Um, you know, Carson Palmer actually compared him to uh, Calvin Johnson. And while you know, I understand what he's saying with that because of the physicality, his ability to attack the football in the air, the attention to detail, I just don't think Drake London's going to run in you know, sub 4-4 four, four at the combine. If he does, then uh, I think you're going to see Drake London shoot up draft boards for sure. But look, 16 receptions, 162 yards, and a touchdown uh, against Utah. I think what it is is Keaton Slovis is always looking for Drake London because even when he's not open, he's open. Because you can just put the football up for him and he's going to make a play on it. It's something that you know is, is quite special. You watch the way that he plays. He's he's a guy. You know he brings that basketball mentality to the football field. He you know they talk about on ESPN with Randy Moss and you got Moss. This guy's going to do that two, three, four times a game. Um, you know his ability to to high point the football does you know attacks the football like it's a like it's a basketball. He's going for a rebound and he box guys out knows where to put his his body in position uh, so that the defender you know doesn't have a chance at, at making a play on the football but uh you know he, he's the attention to detail with this route running that's one of the things that i think he's definitely improving earlier in the year i wasn't at quite as, as sold on it but you watch him his ability to throttle down sink his hips and get quick out of his breaks uh, you know, he, he does a really good job coming back to the football. You watch him on, on a comeback, coming down the stem, really presenting himself. And when you watch him on some of the in-breaking routes, he flattens out that route, really making it more difficult for, for the safety or the corner to come over the top and make a play on the football. Um, you know, look, the 16 receptions there against Utah, the most for a Trojan since Robert Woods with his 17. That was uh, that's a, a Trojan record, uh, Robert Woods of uh, the L.A. Rams fame. Um, you know, in the first half of that game, he had 11 catches for 108 yards and a score. Um, but one of the crazy things, you know, a 20-yard line, uh, comes in motion, catches the ball in the flat, full head of steam, hurdles the defender at the three, kept on going into the end zone. Um, you know, so you watch him, he makes plays down the field, high-pointing footballs. You watch him um, with, with some bubble screens, you know, extends you know, his hands away from, the, from his body so that the, receiver, the, uh, the defensive backs can't make a play on the football, even if they drive on it. But then after that, his ability to make guys miss, he'll make the first guy miss and then get up the field. And uh, he's so difficult to bring down, so physical with this play. Uh, you know, I saw some people comparing him to Alshon Jeffrey. Look, he's more explosive than Alshon Jeffrey. You know, he's not just a guy who's going to be a deep ball threat and somebody who's just going to try to high point you because there's no separation. He can separate. I think he does a good job separating late with some of his, his plays. But look, you know, Drake London, he just continues to get better and better each and every week that we watch him play. 6'5", 210 pounds. To me, you know, he's, he's right there in terms of the top receiver in the draft. Right now I have... Uh, Jahan Dotson at number one, but I'm telling you, the more Drake London, you know, the more I watch out of him, the more um, you know I, I get excited. You know, Jahan Dotson, 
definitely an explosive receiver. You know, runs that 4-3-3-40 and uh, his ability to get over the top. The route running ability, so sudden. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson there at Ohio State, so smooth with the route running. Also very explosive with their speed. And then Jamison Williams there out of Alabama. A guy, you know, he was an Ohio State transfer, comes to Alabama. And, uh, you know, you wonder where Alabama would be with their passing attack if they didn't have number one. Uh, you know, this is a guy who just tremendous, tremendous speed and uh, the route running ability. He's very sudden with his his uh, his routes, uh, getting in and out of his breaks very quickly. Uh, a guy that is a threat to go the distance on any play. But man, you know, Drake London has something that none of those guys have, and that's his size. You know, and, and if when you look at him, when you watch him with his his uh, his forty time. You know, if he can get that sub 4-5, get that into the 4-4, then we could potentially be talking about Drake London as the number one receiver taken in the draft. Last game to talk about, and then we'll call it a podcast, and that's that, that's that Bama A&M game. Now, Evan Neal, I've talked about him as the number one offensive tackle. You watch him in this game against Ty, uh, Tyree Johnson and, and Michael Clemens, and you know these are two edge rushers who are relentless. I think they're guys who will be early day three guys in the draft. Um, but you know, with Evan Neal, he was just model of consistency. Just you know, it was one of those things. Just play after play, so quick out of his stance. Um, you know, he sits down. I mean, for a guy who's six seven and three hundred forty pounds, he he keeps that pad level low. The hands are always shooting inside, and then he's able to just mirror. He just looks like that mirror drill that they, that they do at the combine. He just you know, it's just pop 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 with you know with the the typewriter feet. Um, you know, and really, you know, in a lot of cases, he doesn't even have to do the typewriter feet because he, he makes one step and has that guy under control if he tries to to, uh, to make a secondary move a lot of times he'll stand the guy up with excellent leverage and the guy's not going to go anywhere he's trying to get off off that block and he's not going to go anywhere you watch the physicality uh, the way that he drives guys down the field um, you know there were quite a few plays where he was just taking guys and just just manhandling them um, but you know the thing that again that was so impressive you know Michael Clemens was having a field day on the opposite side against Chris Owens at right tackle he moves over to the left side and uh you know kick slide by by Evan Neal then you see Clemens try to make a spin move back to the inside mirrors that movement you know centers him keeps those hands inside you know and that's one of the things that I thought was impressive uh you know you watched uh, DeMarvin Leal. This was the play, though. You know, and you wanted to see him go uh, go up against uh, Leal. And and look, I, I think Evan, Evan Neal knew who he was going up against here because he beat him out of his stance. Uh, you know, and Leal was lined up as a wide nine te- in the wide nine technique. Uh, took two steps up the field and cuts. Uh, you know, from the outside, cuts back to the inside with his rush. Uh, I, I thought Evan Neal was very under control, very balanced, wide base. Gets parallel with Leal, and you know his left arm kind of strikes the right shoulder of Leal, and then the left hand follows after that. Um, keeps the you know keeps the feet. I'm sorry, it was the the left hand and the right hand followed after that, um, and then kept the feet moving uh, across the line to his right. But then Leal tries to make a spin move back to the inside. Neil just kind of instinctively opens up, kind of boxes him out like a basketball player, and is actually facing. Bryce Young as he's boxing him out and watching as Bryce Young rolls out to the right. 
So it was just one of those things, just very instinctively, he just does a reverse pivot and seals off DeMarvin Leal behind him and is actually watching his quarterback as he's feeling Leal behind him. Just tremendous athleticism, uh, tremendous awareness, uh, the physicality that you see with him. You know, there, there's it's, it's a no-brainer for me with, with Evan Neal and where, where he is. But I'll tell you what, on the other side of the field, Kenyon Green really showed me something in that game. You know, and he's he had to play left tackle. And this is a guy that's kind of bounced around uh, and played quite a few different positions. And, and so he was a guard, uh, played tackle, right tackle, left tackle. Uh, you know, showing that you know that versatility. I thought that's one of the things that was impressive. But uh, you know what he was able to do, whether it was DJ Dale, whether it was Byron Young, uh, Will Anderson, even you know he was a guy that I thought just did a, a tremendous job keeping these guys in front of him. You know, he picked up Will Anderson off the edge, uh, got underneath the pad level, able to stand him up, very physical at the point of attack, and then that grip strength uh, really kept Will Anderson in front of him, didn't allow him to to really get going. Um, you know, and you know, against DJ Dale, did not allow the big man to get going either. You know, with any of that physicality, got those hands underneath the pad level, really at that chest plate, and uh, was standing guys up, uh, generating a lot of movement in the running game as well. Just played with excellent leverage, and uh, you know, 28 starts to his, you know, under his belt, 6'4", 325. The more and more I watch Kenyon Green, the more I keep wanting to move him up in my guard rankings. And uh, a team that's looking for for offensive linemen with versatility, uh, you know, Green's one of those guys that has to be uh, near the top of the list. He and I came up with you there for uh, NC State, two guys that should absolutely be at the top of the list for sure. Um, you know, I, I thought you know Jalen Weidermeyer. You know, one of the things that he struggled with was blocking, and that's one of the things where he was kind of exposed. Uh, Will Anderson repeatedly. Seem to be driving it back into the backfield, and again, you know, we know that Will Anderson is is one of the more explosive players in all of college football. But look, you know, Weidermeyer makes it to the NFL. There are going to be multiple Will Andersons on on defenses there at the next level that are going to just be looking to you know they'll be licking their chops going up against a tight end who can't anchor, can't keep that wide base, and can't keep a guy in front of them. And uh, so that's something that I thought with you know with Weidermeyer, look, you know, he was a, a threat down the field, was making plays. Um, you know, for for the quarterback for Zach Calzada, um, you know, down the sideline, Alabama somehow missed him, blown coverage, and uh, made a, a nice catch there in the end zone. Uh, but that blocking, you know, that, that can get you into trouble. Uh, I thought Isaiah Spiller as a runner uh, looked good against Bama. Um, you know, that was really one of the big keys was they needed to have that running game and have that physicality up front. They were able to move the football and uh, you know, allow Zach Calzada to then you know, to play action and be able to throw off of that. That was something, you know, really the key to, to the game in a lot of respects was getting Isaiah Spiller going. And look, he only had seven, uh, 17 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown, but I thought there was enough there that really made you start thinking about things. He also had four catches for 43 yards, showed excellent hands coming out of the backfield. I'm a big fan of Isaiah Spiller. I think I've got him um, you know, at, at number three, um, you know, because Kenneth Walker, um, I, I look, you know, if we're talking running backs, Kenneth Walker is one of those guys that has kind of emerged. We didn't really get to see him at, at Wake Forest. Um, you know, he played in seven games last year, 579 yards, which equaled his output as a freshman um, through 13 games. And you look at it, and you know, he's nearly uh, eclipsed 
his two years at Wake Forest and one season there you know, in uh, a Michigan State Spartan uniform. 913 yards on 129 carries at 7.1 yards per, per carry. Nine touchdowns as well. They don't really throw, throw it to him out of the back when you're averaging seven yards a carry and you've got Jalen Naylor Who's you know? I, I think he had three touchdowns over 60 yards uh, last week. Maybe you don't really need to to be that effective uh, coming out of the backfield, but that is something that I think as if he decides that he wants to enter the draft after the season, he's gonna have to show that he can catch the football coming out of the backfield. And you know, in his three years at at, uh, uh, at Wake and and with Sparty. Just uh, just ten receptions in his career, so you you wonder whether or not this is a guy that you know can be counted upon to catch footballs out of the backfield. Can he be a three-down back? That's really the biggest question mark there for him. Um, so th- those are the guys that uh, you know really stood out to me. Those were the games that I was really focusing on, and uh, I-, I think there was a lot to to take away from uh, October 9th. And I'll tell you what, you know the games this weekend. You know, we really have a lot to to live up to. Um, you know, we don't quite have the matchups that we did, and I think that's one of the things that it, it's almost uh, you know that that downer you know coming in after um, you know after seeing such a, a great week of, of college football. But uh, I think there's still going to be some matchups that we can get, still get excited about. Um, Friday night's game, we've got uh, you know Cal taking on Oregon at home. Um, Clemson against Syracuse at, at the Carrier Dome on Friday as well. Uh, you get to Saturday. On Saturday, you've got Oklahoma State, the undefeated and 12th ranked Cowboys going to Texas to take on uh, the Longhorns, number 25 in the country. Even after that loss against OU, Bijan Robinson going up against that that's tough uh, Cowboy defense. Going to be you know, interesting to watch there. Arkansas going up against Auburn. You want to see if that three-man front can get any pressure on, on Bo Nix. Bo Nix likes to fly around. Keep an eye out for those linebackers, Grant Morgan and Bumper Poole. Very active linebackers. Um, you know, as you move through the, the the week, what you really have the game of the day is uh, the number 11th ranked Kentucky Wildcats. You know, it's kind of weird that we're talking about the, the Wildcats being ranked number 11 in the country, but they're they're going to show uh, show up against uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, and I think uh, they, they will struggle offensively. I think Will Levis needs to push the football down the field, um, you know, because Chris Ro- Rodriguez. You know, this is going to be a game for him, kind of a statement game. Can he generate any type of a push there against that vaunted uh, Georgia line and really with those linebackers there at the second level as well? You know, Darian Kennard there at the right tackle position as well. You know, you want to see him go up against Devontae White. You want to see him go up against Jordan Davis. I feel like he's a Cody Ford clone and a guy that should be playing inside a guard. But, you know, in that running game, see that physicality. Can they really move that football against Georgia? Going to be a huge question mark there. But I'll tell you what, Stetson Bennett there at, at the quarterback position, you're going to see him go up against Josh Paschal, who I think is one of the more underrated defensive ends in the country. Uh, you know, they've got really good linebacker play as well. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. I just don't know if they can hold up with that running game, especially when Zamir White and company are running behind Jamari Sawyer and, and Justin Schaefer. 
two guys who I think will be playing guard at the next level really, really soon. Um, Iowa taking on Purdue. You'll see if George Karloftis can get after Spencer Petras and uh, Tyler Goodson. Um, Baylor at home against BYU. The number 19th ranked uh, Cougars went down to Boise State uh, last week. Can they rebound against Baylor? Um, you know, I think that's going to be a, an interesting, intriguing game. Uh, Pitt going to, to Virginia Tech. You know, I want to see really what Virginia Tech is made of at this point. I want to see Amari Barno, too, taking on uh, Kenny Pickett there, the, the quarterback for, for Pittsburgh. Haven't had a chance to watch Kenny play, but you know, from what I've seen in terms of what people are talking about on Twitter, he's one of those quarterbacks that we need to watch. Uh, you know, See if he's going to move up some draft boards. Alabama, I don't, I don't want to be Mississippi State. Yes, uh, the Crimson Tide are going to Starkville. But uh, Mike Leach and company, you're going up against an angry Nick Saban. Watch out for that game. OU at home in Norman against TCU. The big question mark, who's going to be quarterback? If it is Spencer Rattler, what is he going to do with that? Really, it's kind of his final final chance to get things done for the Sooners. If Caleb Williams is the starting quarterback, how does Spencer react to that? Does he get a chance to play at all in the game? Does he go with a two-quarterback system at all? Does he run, you know, um, packages for both quarterbacks? And uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you really want to see what the body language looks like. How do uh, how does Spencer Rattler react? How does the team react to him if he is the starting quarterback? Um, you know, a lot of those things to really keep an eye out for. But I'm telling you. Caleb Williams, that offense looked different. It looked much more explosive when Caleb Williams was in the game, and the players really fed off of his enthusiasm, and they were really rallying around him. And so you wonder if, if really that's the handwriting on the wall that Spencer Rattler's on his way out. Be interesting to see there uh, in Norman, uh, Tennessee, and Josh Heupel. He really has the Volunteers playing well. Ole Miss is coming to town. Um, you know that's going to be Matt Corral again. I think you know the, the Rebels get get the job done there. NC State, number 22 ranked uh, Wolfpack. And when you're talking about there, you're going to see two running backs. You're going to see Bam Knight and Ricky Person. You're going to see Devin Leary, who's a solid quarterback. You got Emeka Emezi, their their, uh, possession receiver. And then Ike Mokwonu, the the guard slash tackle. He's playing left tackle there right now for the Wolfpack. Going up against BC. uh, And you know you're going to have a tough-nosed defense. Offensively, Zay Flowers is a guy that really... um, I, I think I gave him a hard time with his, you know, I don't think he's a natural pass catcher. And I, I kind of used that to kind of influence uh, really where I was putting Zay, Zay uh, Flowers in my rankings. This is a guy who is very explosive with his route running ability. And if he can show everyone that his hands are clean, that he's making these catches with his hands, he's not letting it get into his body, he's not trapping things or anything like that. Uh, he's a guy that I think is he's explosive enough to be in the top 10 um, when you're talking about receiver rankings for sure. Um, you know, Iowa State against Kansas State, I think that's going to be a hard-nosed battle. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, a lot of guys you know, that you really want to see step up for Iowa State, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, and company want to see what, what happens there. Will McDonald on the defensive side of the football as well. Uh, UCLA uh, going up against Washington. You know, and that's in Seattle. Um, obviously, you know, DTR, you know, they're really struggling throwing the football, but Zach Charbonnet, one of my favorite running backs this year, uh, you know, a big physical guy, but really nice feet. 
Um, you watch him, you know, you watch DTR though against that, uh, that secondary for, for the Huskies. Really want to see what uh, Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie can do against the Bruins there as well. And then uh, the final game that I really am going to be keeping an eye out for is uh, ASU traveling to Utah. Uh, you know, seeing what Jaden Daniels can do there against uh, you know, really a, a Utah Ute team that stepped up its play there against USC and uh, really took it to them there in the Coliseum. Um, Going to be interesting to see if they can do that again and follow that up with a big victory there over the 18th ranked Sun Devils. Um, you know, Rashad White, one of the better receiving running backs in the country. Uh, Jaden Daniels, a, a guy, you know, I just want to see him throw the football down the field. Uh, with some regularity you know a lot of these short to intermediate passes uh you know i I love the athleticism but i just want to see more from him this year and hopefully um you know he'll be able to do that a little bit there against the utes so those are the matchups that i'll be looking forward to uh this weekend and we'll be talking about some of the things that stood out for me in next week's podcast so we're going to go ahead and bring this one to a wrap for now Uh, but for readyforthedraft.com this has been the ready for the draft podcast i've been your host greg shoots take care everyone enjoy your week be safe until next time i am out of here